Tomorrow is the state funeral for Queen Elizabeth II. And I think if you have a chance to watch it or hear anything about it or read about it, I hope you're going to hear lots of incredibly positive things about who she was. Uh, I hope you get to hear that for 70 plus years, she served faithfully in a job she was asked to do, doing the duty uh, that was required of her. I think that's amazing. I've been doing this job 16 and a half years, and that feels like a long time. 70 plus years, can you imagine? I think I read somewhere that other than Christmas Day and Easter every year, she's at work. And so I think she gets this red box. She got this red box with all sort of official paperwork and correspondence. And so every day other than Christmas Day and Easter Sunday, uh, she would do the work that was assigned for her to do, corresponding and engaging with the duties of what it meant to be queen. I think there's something really, really commendable and really, really powerful about that. I hope you get to hear, you know, she was the longest reigning monarch in British history, and she was super well-loved. I think for the most part, she was honest in her dealings with others. She tried to do uh, the best that she could. Uh, She was incredibly faithful and loyal. I hope you also hear, I don't know if it'll happen, I'm praying that it does, I hope you hear about her faith in Jesus, that she didn't just sort of do all of this in her own strength, Uh, that she did this out of a genuine connection and love for Jesus. And I hope that's presented. It's amazing to me that uh, two months ago, three months ago, when I was on my study leave, I went to England, and I was there praying and laying out the sermon series that we're doing in the book of Matthew. And when I got to this sermon, I felt a strong compulsion from the Lord that she was supposed to be the example that we were using to illustrate what we're talking about this morning. And so I did that and I wrote that all out in June and then lo and behold, here we are the day before her state funeral and I thought, God is amazing. He understands the times and seasons and orchestrates all things. And I felt for sure he wanted us to use her this morning as we're thinking about it's a blessing to have a good monarch. Like it's been a blessing for the people in the United Kingdom to have her be their queen. Now, she's been a good queen, might even say a great queen, but she's not been perfect. She's certainly not without her faults. I hope those don't come out at the funeral. But if we're going to be honest talking about her, she seemed to really have some struggles as a parent. Now, she would not be the first monarch whose kids did not seem to struggle with the the parents' parenting. King David comes to mind, of course, for that. She also presided over a history and a tradition that did a lot of colonizing and enslaving of people, which we don't want anything to do with affirming that. In 2021, Barbados uh, chose to leave the Commonwealth, and I think a lot of other countries are considering doing that as well in recognition that the history uh, that she represents, at least, as the crown, that there's some really bad stuff uh, as part of that. I think also in the whole Princess Diana experience, I think it was revealed that perhaps she at times allowed duty to overwhelm love and what other people needed her to do and be in connecting with them. But still, having said those things, overall, I would hope that we would be able to say it's a blessing 
to have a good monarch. It's a blessing to the people of the United Kingdom to have somebody who's faithful, who's loyal, who did her duty, who tried her best to serve others uh, the best that she could. And so we could say that 70 years ago, when she became Queen of England, that was good news for the people of England. That was good news for people in the United Kingdom. Well, if we can say that about Queen Elizabeth II, how much more can we say that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was acknowledged as king, that was good news for the whole world. It's good news to have a good monarch. This morning, we're going to be talking about the fact that it is good news that Jesus is king. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. The Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 783. Gospel of Matthew, page 783. Last week, we looked at the first half of Matthew, chapter 1, which is a genealogy. And we looked through the list of names and found that, wow, even in a boring list of names, there are no boring stories to God. And that each name in this genealogy, in this room, and in this world represents a person that God loves. And that God is actively engaged with trying to bless uh, and be kind to. We're going to skip for a while the second half of chapter 1, and we're going to save that passage for Christmas this year. And so now we're in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses, thinking about this idea that it's good news that Jesus is king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said to them, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now one of the things about Queen Elizabeth II that makes it at least more obvious that she was a good monarch is when you see her in comparison to the monarch who came before her. 
I don't mean her father, who was immediately before her. I mean her uncle, Edward, who was king before George. Edward was a promiscuous adulterer. He was a Nazi sympathizer. And he abdicated the throne of England because he wanted to marry somebody that he was not allowed to marry. He chose personal selfishness over service to country. And when you see the darkness of who Edward was, Queen Elizabeth shines more brightly in comparison to him. Her faithfulness, her loyalty, her sacrifice, and her service looks all the better when seen against the backdrop of her uncle Edward. So it is with Jesus. The good news that Jesus is king shines all the more brightly when you realize that at the time of Jesus' birth, there was another person, <coughs> excuse me, who had the title king of the Jews, and that person was a terrible king. His name was Herod. And that Jesus, the good news that Jesus is king, is seen all the more brightly against the backdrop that Herod was such a bad king. So there are three evidences of why Herod was such a poor king in the story that I just read to you. The first was that Herod was paranoid. Look at verse three. When King Herod heard this, that Messiah, that the king of the Jews, that the long-awaited Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, he was disturbed, and then notice the next phrase. And all Jerusalem with him. Now it makes sense why King Herod would be disturbed. He's the king of the Jews. Well, when you hear news that a person with the title king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem, you can imagine that would be disturbing for the current king of the Jews. But why is all Jerusalem disturbed with him? After all, Jerusalem, the capital city, they have been waiting and longing and praying and hoping for the Messiah. And they know full well that King Herod is not that person. So why are they disturbed? Well, it's because they know that Herod is paranoid. <laughs> and the people who live near Herod, it doesn't say that all of Judah was disturbed. Jerusalem. Those people where Herod is ruling, they're the ones who are scared because they know Herod, at this point, has already killed at least one wife, a mother-in-law, two sons, and some brothers-in-law, all in an attempt to hang on to power. There was no real evidence that any of those people were trying to displace Herod, but he was so paranoid and so sure that everybody wanted to get rid of him that he killed anybody close to him that he had any hint might take his power, including, can you imagine, his own kids. Jerusalem is disturbed because they know when Herod is upset, heads begin to roll. And this is a sign that Herod is paranoid, desperate to hold on to power at any cost. The second reason why Herod was not a very good king is that he was a deceiver and a manipulator. When you first read through this passage in verses 7 and 8, it sounds like Herod wants to go and worship Jesus. He tells the wise men or the magi, oh, look, 
You're, you found this star. That's great news. Where are you going? Bethlehem? Great. Do you have the address of the house you're going to? Oh, no, I'm just interested. So when I go there, I can put it into my phone and I can find it right away because I, too, will be going there to worship him. No, 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 he is not going there to worship Jesus. He's ready to send the hit squad to kill him. But you see Herod deceiving and manipulating these magi from the east. Herod doesn't out and out say, well, you tell me where he is and I'm gonna put him to death and you too. No, he wants to use them to accomplish his goals. He does not view these magi as people in their own rights. They're people to serve him and what he wants to accomplish. The third thing about Herod is not exactly in our passage. It's a few verses later. But he was a vindictive murderer. Look down at verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Herod is so angry that the Magi don't fall into his schemes and plans that God warns them and says, don't go back to Herod. He's going to want to kill that baby. God sends the Magi home a different way. When Herod realizes this, he doesn't think to himself, well, there you go. God's in charge. I should have submitted. I shouldn't have been trying to deceive and manipulate. No, he becomes furious and he goes on a rampage killing all the baby boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity. Herod's the king. He's the king over these people. He's supposed to be protecting babies. This is his job. These are the most defenseless, most helpless people. But Herod would rather murder 99% of innocent babies to try to get the one he thinks might be a threat to him. This is Herod as king. He's a vindictive murderer. If I were going to look at those three characteristics and kind of sum them up in one phrase, I would say what you have going on with Herod is a love of power. Herod wants power. He wants to hold on to power. He wants to exercise power to accomplish his goals. Herod has made an idol of power, and power is the thing that he is focused on. Jesus, by contrast, looks very, very different. Where Herod was paranoid, Jesus is full of faith and trust. It's amazing to me, no matter how many, I've heard this story many times. Every Christmas, I read through Matthew's gospel. I think about the story of Jesus. I've heard it thousands of times. This time as I was studying it, it was impressed upon me again. What kind of faith did it take for Jesus to come to earth as a baby? A baby. I get the fact that, okay, if we're going to have a savior, that savior has to be human. And I get the fact that God loved us so much that he needed to send his son to be one of us. But in my mind, I think to myself, well, just show up as an adult Go through what you need to go through to save us. Think of what it took to come as a baby, helpless. 
Jesus who has as the Son of God all power in heaven chooses to come into the most powerless state you could be. Herod is absolutely paranoid. Jesus is full of faith and trust. He trusts his heavenly father who's come up with this assignment. He's willing to trust that God has chosen the right woman to be his mother. That God has chosen the right person to be his adoptive father. It's stunning to me when these wise men show up to worship Jesus, he can do nothing for himself. He can't feed himself, he can't change himself, he can't do any of those things. And I think how very, very different than Herod. That Jesus, full of faith and trust, he knows who he is. He knows that God has sent him to do this. He accepts his assignment and he's able to be who he is in faith and trust. Second, while Herod was a deceiver and a manipulator, Jesus comes as a shepherd. It's the quote from the prophet Micah in verse six. You Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Ruler sounds like a power word, but shepherd is a love word. Jesus came not to deceive and manipulate. He came to serve. Jesus, as a shepherd, he came to lead us into green pastures and beside still waters. He came to protect us. He came to help us. He came to bind up our wounds. He came to comfort us. He came to lay down his life for us. Please understand me very carefully when I say this next sentence. Jesus is not king for himself. Jesus is already God. He already has all authority and power. When Jesus existed from eternity past with God the Father, he was not lacking in power. He became king for us to serve us. We couldn't be here if he didn't do this. He did not become king to exercise the abuse of power. He did not become king to use people to accomplish what he wanted. He became king to serve, to lay down his life, to love. Very, very different than Herod. And then third, while Herod was a vindictive murderer, Jesus was a savior and a messiah. When Jesus is hanging on a cross, and it says above him, king of the Jews, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Could you imagine Herod ever praying a prayer like that? Can you imagine anybody with that kind of power acting like that? Jesus who is on that cross is there to save and to rescue. And instead of coming in vindictive rage, he comes in his expression of God's love for us. So if I were to summarize these characteristics about Jesus, I would describe it as the power of love. And the difference in a leader between the love of power and the power of love is almost infinite. That's why I say 
it is good news for the whole world that Jesus is king. Now, you might want to correct me. You might want to say, now, Pastor, don't you mean it's good news for Christians that Jesus is king? No, I mean it's good news for non-Christians that Jesus is king. Think about it. Jesus is king. Yet regularly, you hear it, I hear it, his name is taken in vain by people all over this world. People are actively refusing to believe that he's king and even refusing to believe that he exists. That right now, Jesus is king, but there are billions of people who are acting however they feel like, doing things that he finds to be repulsive. And yet he lets it go on. More than that, Jesus is kind to those who don't believe in him. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked alike. That he offers to all people life. That right now there are people who are using the life Jesus has given them to act in ways that are contrary to Jesus, even trying to talk people who believe Jesus is king out of obeying Jesus, and Jesus is still letting them live life. He's still trying to bless that there are lots and lots of wicked people in this world who are experiencing the blessings of life. Do you know anybody else who has that kind of power who lets their enemies, treats their enemies that way. Would Vladimir Putin do that? Would Xi Jinping do that? Would any American politician treat their enemies this way? Jesus is kind and patient and tolerant and long-suffering even to those who refuse to believe he's king. That's why it's good news for non-Christians that Jesus is king. If Herod was king, they'd be in a lot of trouble. Now you may say, yeah, but if you don't end up believing Jesus is king before you die, then you spend eternity separated from God in hell. That doesn't seem very kind. I get your point. But I think I would want to say it this way. Every single person is already currently separated from God because of our own sinful choices. That long before Jesus was declared to be king, every single human being was already destined to spend eternity separated from God because of our sin. Jesus being king means that there is now an option for anybody who does not want to be separated from God, to be united to him. This is why, again, it's good news for non-Christians that Jesus is king because not only is he kind and patient, not only does he bestow blessings that you would never think a king would ever give to his enemies, Jesus has also, even to this day, offered to any who are willing to believe eternal life, forgiveness for their sins, the ability not to be separated from God, to be able to be part of God's kingdom forever and ever, that even today, if you are hearing the sound of my voice, it doesn't matter the, 
the blasphemous things you might have said about Jesus or the wicked things that you've done. We've all done those things. If today you're willing to accept him as king, you will be totally and completely forgiven. That you'll be given life. It's good news that Jesus is king even for those who don't believe he's king. Now, if it's good news for non-Christians that Jesus is king, how much better news is it for Christians that Jesus is king? That this person that we believe is Lord and Messiah, that he has been declared to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That even now in the midst of a world that is messed up, Jesus is still exercising to some extent his kingship, especially here in this church and in churches all over the world. That Jesus as king is presenting and offering to us peace and grace and love and kindness. That Jesus is blessing us. That Jesus is convicting us. That Jesus is helping us. That Jesus is teaching us. And that Jesus will someday return to this earth and set up a kingdom that will never end. A kingdom of righteousness. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of love. A kingdom of joy. It is good news that Jesus is king. Amen? Is it good news that Jesus is king and Herod is not? Is it good news that Jesus is king and Vladimir Putin is not? Is it good news that Jesus is king and Xi Jinping is not? Is it good news that Jesus is king and no American politician is? Is it good news that Jesus is king and Queen Elizabeth is not? Is it good news that Jesus is king and I'm not? Amen to that. I completely agree. It is good news that Jesus is king and that no one else is. If that's true, let me ask you three questions. Three questions that I'd like you to spend some time today or this week thinking about. If it's true that it is good news that Jesus is king and Herod is not, three questions I'd like you to spend some time just sort of pondering, thinking through, and trying to answer. First question. We in the American church and I would say probably the Russian Orthodox Church, and probably the state church in China, and many churches around the world have made an idol out of power. And that far too many of us are drawn to leaders who look a lot like Herod, who are paranoid, who are deceivers, who are manipulators, who are vindictive murderers. Now I get that you might say, there's not a lot of good choices these days. I completely understand that. And I recognize that given the political system that we have, given the political systems that exist in the world, that we still are engaged, we're voting, we're involved, that is absolutely wonderful. But let me ask you this question. How do you think Jesus would feel If he came to your house and in your house was a sign 
And the sign said, vote for Herod the Great for king. How would that make Jesus feel? I'm not talking about who you're voting for. I'm just simply talking about, is it possible that we might have allegiances to people who look too much like Herod? That that might be communicating something about who we are that we might want to think through, okay, it's one thing to vote, it's one thing to sort of be for it, but how much do we want to sort of promote connections to people who look like Herod? That's a question for us to ponder. Second question. Midterm elections are coming up uh, in America. I'm praying, and I hope you're praying too, that we get elected officials who look more like Queen Elizabeth and less like King Herod. I hope you're praying for that, and I hope you're wishing for that as well. But if we don't, will you still be overjoyed because Jesus is king? When these magi show up, Herod is currently the ruler, and he's not a very good ruler. But when they see Jesus, they are overjoyed. And the question for us is, regardless of who ends up being in power in this country or in countries around the world, will you and I still be overjoyed that Jesus is king? Jesus is king. Third question. Queen Elizabeth reigned for 70 years. That's a long time. I try to think for, to myself of all the books that were written during her reign. And I have to imagine that authors of those books were probably like, wouldn't it be great to have Queen Elizabeth endorse my book? As far as I can tell, there's only one book that she ever endorsed in 70 years. She endorsed it by writing a foreword to it. It was a book that came out in 2015 entitled The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. That all the books that were written about the crown and all the books written about her and all the books written in the Commonwealth and in the United Kingdom, the one that she wanted to put her name with was the one that talked about Jesus as king. Then as for as much goodwill as the queen engendered, her purpose was to point people to the good news that Jesus is king. And the question I have for us is, is that what our coworkers, our fellow students, the people in our neighborhood, is this what they would say about us? Would they say that we are so dedicated to serving Jesus as king that this is what we're endorsing? That the one thing we want our names on is the thing that helps other people realize the good news that Jesus is king? Three questions. Ponder them. Think about them. Ask the Lord to give you some insight on them. We're engaged in the political process great. But how much do we want to be associated with people who look more like Herod than Jesus? Politics are going to happen in this country. 
Some people who are elected, we will praise God and thank God for. Other people who are elected, we will think, okay, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I'm sure it's something. But will we still be overjoyed no matter what happens because Jesus is king? And then third, are we living our lives in such a way that the good news that Jesus is king, that everything we are doing is pointing people to say, oh yeah, that guy is a servant engineer, that guy's a servant teacher, that guy's a servant student, and the king he serves. The good news, the great news, the fantastic news for non-Christians and Christians alike is that Jesus is king. Amen? Let me lead us in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that while we were still your enemy, when we were far from you, when we didn't know anything about you, you chose to become one of us, to die for us, that you might exercise the power of love on our behalf. God, we want to say thank you. Jesus, you deserve our praise and honor and glory in a way that no one else ever will. Forgive us, Lord, for spending so much time talking about human kings and queens when we should be talking about you. Forgive us for fretting and worrying. Forgive us for putting our hopes and our dreams in the kings and queens of this world and the systems that are in place. You, Jesus, are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if the world is not yet ready to acknowledge your kingship, may we acknowledge it here in this church. May each one of us acknowledge it in our lives and may the people who see us know that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Give us grace by your spirit to ponder these questions. Help us to think through these things and let us be able to rejoice that you, Jesus, are king. Amen.